Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Shamat Kosandu from Toronto in Canada, and my goodness me, ladies and gentlemen, what a night of fights we had. UFC 269 was all killer, no filler. Almost every single fight on the card had a storyline, and almost every single fight on the card delivered. I'm nicely recovered. I was buzzing after that event, trying to get to sleep after it at 6 a.m. is normally a bit of a an easy job to be honest because i'm knackered after that i was i was wide awake sandy how were you after that one i was absolutely wired as well i think i eventually got to sleep got in about three hours of there's always that kind of calm down period the the adrenaline is rushing as soon as the pay-per-view of a big title fight ends for us that work in the media that's precisely when the bulk of our work begins because it's all the post-fight reactionary stuff um, so that usually goes on for a few hours, but I, I think I finally got maybe three hours of sleep and then my alarm went off because it was a big day of racing in, in Formula One, which also gave us some spectacular entertainment, drama, theater, you name it. It was just an incredible weekend of sport, honestly. It, it was really a was. Work, Sandu. It was a work. I, I, it was ridiculous. You probably saw me on Twitter afterwards. Yeah. Moaning and groaning. I don't. If Max Verstappen had won fair and square, no problem at all. But that whole thing was completely engineered. It was, it was great for TV. Drive to Survive season three or whatever it is is going to look outstanding, especially given that we know how it ends. Mm-hmm. It's going to be great for TV. But my goodness me, they made a right mess of it. They really did make a mess of it. And it's not the driver's fault. It's not the team's fault. Um, and you know, there's appeals going in. It doesn't matter what happens from here on in. The season has ended as a farce, which is a real shame because it's one of the best seasons ever. Yeah. If you're not a Formula One fan, I urge you, when that documentary series on Netflix comes out, watch it. It is better than any reality show you'll see. It is superb. It was a big weekend. I literally slept until the start of that race, pretty much. Um, <laughs> it was. I, did, I was absolutely buzzing after UFC 269. And uh, we're still sort of rubbing the sleep from my eyes as the drivers were coming to the grid on the, on Sunday for the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. But let's talk about these fights, Sandy. My goodness me. Main event, Charles Oliveira, Dustin Poirier. I picked Dustin Poirier. I think you slightly leant towards Dustin Poirier as well, if I remember rightly. But it was a, I think we both agreed it was kind of a coin flip fight. What a fight it was. Charles Oliveira, I don't think there could be any doubters anymore. I really don't. I mean, he went in there and... He's a finisher. He goes in there and finishes people. He finishes Dustin Poirier. Rear naked choke, third round, and still, and he cements himself as the undisputed lightweight champion of the UFC. And for Dustin Poirier, two shots at the UFC lightweight title, two defeats, two rear naked choke submissions. That's a tough pill to swallow for the diamond. But Sandu, let's talk about Charles Oliveira first off. What a performance from him. He never seems to get the full credit that he deserves because he's always going up against people who might be bigger stars. Might Maybe we've watched a few more of their fights. But my goodness, what a performance from Oliveira. He's the real deal, no doubt about it. He deserves his flowers right now. You know what I love about the Charles Oliveira story right now, Simon, is the fact that we've now got some distance between the end of the Khabib era and as we've transitioned to the Charles Oliveira era. And it's like just perfect because he's winning. He won the title. He's now defended the title. He's finally, the, the, the bookies have made him a favorite for the first time ever. He's been the underdog this entire time. He's now the favorite heading into a potential fight with Justin Gaethje. He went 10 and 8 in his first 18 fights. 
in the UFC. And now he's got a perfect 10-0, leading all the way to the title and a defense of that championship. And I almost feel like this is for the OGs. This is for the fans that have been really following the sport, and in particular the UFC, for a very long time. You have seen Charles Olivero at his best, at his worst, win and lose. You've seen him on prelims and on Facebook prelims back in the day. You know, he's been part of main cards and fight night cards. And and now to see him closing the show on a, another massive pay-per-view. You could have opened the segment just talking about what a great pay-per-view this was. Simon, this has just been an incredible year for the UFC, especially when it comes to the pay-per-views. When it comes to the pay-per-views, they've made sure that they've delivered and they absolutely did. And my goodness, Charles Oliveira, I hope, Simon, I hope he gets the opportunity to fight in Brazil in 2022. And I hope the world opens up for him to have that opportunity because I feel like the UFC could really use someone like him um, in Brazil, in that market, which is obviously so important to to them, but for him as well. You know, who wouldn't want to, you know, fight in, in your native country as a champion, headlining a big pay-per-view card? Absolutely over the moon for Charles Oliveira. 32 career wins, 29 by stoppage. 29 out of 32. And this is fighting on the biggest stage in the sport. 20 career submissions. That was submission number 20 for Charles Oliveira. And I believe it was, uh, I think it was win number 20 for Charles Oliveira in the UFC. So unbelievable performance from him. He is at the top of the tree. The other thing, what you said about the distance from the Khabib era, which, which was a very good point. The other thing with that is, He's someone who hasn't been in there with Khabib. He's not, it's not like the guy at the top of the division is someone that Khabib has already beaten, which is something that could have been said if Dustin had won the belt. Charles Oliveira never got beat by Khabib during his career. They never fought. But he is away and clear at the top of the division now. Now it's a case of the rest of the division trying to catch him up. And it looks like it's going to be Justin Gaethje who will get his deserved shot first in 2022. But let's talk about Dustin Poirier, Sandu. I mean... A guy who I think has the respect of the entire mixed martial arts community. He puts back, you know, he gives back. His Good Fight Foundation has done has done some incredible work uh, back home in Louisiana. He comes across in such a classy manner, even in defeat. And it's another setback for him. And he almost admitted after the fight that he doesn't know whether he's ever going to get back to that mountaintop again. You know, does he have the fire to go through that journey again and get to the top and potentially lose again. So he's got a lot of soul searching to do now. I know he tweeted earlier this afternoon saying that he's grateful for the sport. He's grateful for his opportunities. Um, and I think after a period of almost mourning the fact that he lost his, his title chance, I think we'll see him back, but I wonder what kind of direction his career might take. Will he go for another run at the belt, or will he just go for the bigger fights? Obviously, the Conor McGregor trilogy fight. Uh, sorry, it's not a trilogy fight. No, it's the fourth fight with Conor McGregor. Is obviously something that's out there and a makeable fight. There's a move up to welterweight potentially. He'd be very comfortable at 170 pounds. Colby Covington has been sounding off about him recently, so that's a potential matchup between two former teammates at ATT. So he's still got options. But did we just see the last title fight? of Dustin Poirier's career in the UFC, do you think? That is a great question, Simon. I'm going to lean towards no. There's something about the Dustin Poirier story that is currently unfinished that makes me think he'll get one more chance. And the other thing that's in his favour 
is his recent run of, of results has meant that he's A, got a victory over Justin Gaethje. Now, Justin Gaethje could very well beat Charles Oliveira for the title at some point in 2022. And if he does, Poirier's got a win over him. And he could be right there in the mix to, to fight Gaethje again. There's a story there. It's a rematch. You know, we've talked about this before. The UFC loves making rematches. They love making um, matches where there's a story uh, to build on, right? So that's an opportunity there. Conor McGregor is always going to be in the mix to fight for the title. We've just had him put out a very cheeky tweet, essentially saying he'd like to know the, uh, the timetable of when he's going to be able to fight Oliveira. And he wants uh, to do it again. He wants to run it back in Brazil, you know, Brazil versus Ireland, much like he did with Aldo. Uh, and although that's all fun and games and everyone's going to be up in arms about that tweet, the fact that Conor McGregor is always going to be there or thereabouts, again, whether you agree or disagree fighting for a title, and the fact that Poirier has... Um, got his number at the moment in terms of two to one so far with the trilogy fights they've had, means that's a potential fight that he could all, always have. And then obviously the final route is just earning it, outright earning it again, Simon. You know, getting a couple of more wins, you know. Does he fight Makachev uh, next year at some point if he's successful over RDA? So I don't think the, the, the opportunity to, to become champion is gone. It's looking pretty bleak at the moment. And I'm sure, you know, Dustin Poirier fans are going to be pretty um, hard, or felt hard done by because obviously they've been following him for a long time. He's obviously going to be down the dumps. That's his second chance, his second shot. And one of the stories leading into the weekend, Simon, was the fact that Poirier just hasn't won the big one. And unfortunately, it's happened again this past weekend. Listen, you mentioned welterweight, Simon. We almost got Dustin Poirier and Nate Diaz a couple of years ago in Madison Square Garden. And if I'm Poirier now, just given the fact that Nate Diaz is in the last fight of his contract, just to stay in the mix, just to be involved in another high-profile fight, why not plant some seeds? You know, why not see if he can perhaps get that Nate Diaz fight? So Dustin Poirier, he's got plenty of options on the table, and it's going to be very, very interesting just to monitor his kind of journey and path here on out moving forward into 2022. It really is. That lightweight division is absolutely stacked, as we know. Conor McGregor calling for a title shot, ranked ninth in the UFC lightweight division. I know that's not something that really matters, but there he is. He's ninth. But you take a look at Dustin Poirier. Michael Chandler is a fight that could be very easily made, I would imagine. Uh, Makachev and Benil Dariush are three and four, or four and three in the world. They're going to do battle early next year. Gaethje's going to go for the belt next. So... The highest, the next highest ranked option for him is Michael Chandler. So uh, it'd be interesting to see, will he go for that or the Conor McGregor fight or the Nate Diaz fight? He's got options or the Colby Covington fight. But every single one of those fights is a box office fight. Every single one of those fights could headline anywhere, whether it's a title fight, interim title fight, non-title fight. They are, that is a five round headliner caliber matchup. So He's still got plenty of paydays ahead of him if he decides to just keep this train rolling. And you never know. I mean, Michael Bisbing is the prime example of someone who just kept on going when he kept falling at the final hurdle or the penultimate hurdle. And eventually he got he got his reward. He won the belt. Dustin Poirier has got to the top of the mountain twice only to get pushed off by the last guy. So, you know, he's he's come as close as it's possible to come. And he's he's had an interim title as well. So... You know, he, he's incredibly unfortunate that he hasn't held that undisputed belt yet. I think he's got another title running him. I really do. I really think he's got another another run in him. 
and hopefully he can stay injury free. He comes back fresh in 2022. Lightweight division arguably has never looked more uh, exciting with so many championship contenders at 55. So looking forward to seeing what is next, even though he'll be disappointed right now. That was the main event, but that was overshadowed in my book by what happened in the co-main event. Juliana Pena versus Amanda Nunes, the completely unfancied Juliana Pena in terms of the bookies, in terms of everybody picking the results leading into the fight. Amanda Nunes was an unbackable favorite heading into this. What do we know? What do the bookies know? What does anybody know anymore? Juliana Pena steps in there and just walks through Amanda Nunez's punches. Unbelievable. Walks through Amanda Nunez's punches. First round, she gets completely handled on the ground. It's like, crikey, this is going to be this is gonna be another one-sided beating. Second round, she's like, sob this. I'm just going to walk forward and walk through everything Nunez threw at her. Couldn't miss with her left jab. Just kept pumping out the left jab. Pow, pow, pow. Every single one landed. And Nunez just completely, I think she ran out of gas. She ran out of ideas and found herself in big, big trouble very quickly. Pena takes her down, had barely got the choke on, and Nunez, Nunez quit. You know, it almost didn't look like there was a tap. It's almost like she verbally said, no, I'm done. So, but it was a very quick finish when it came. So huge, huge win for Juliana Pena. Incredible feel-good story. And uh, the big question now is what happens next. Looks like there could be a rematch, but should there be? Should Amanda Nunes get an immediate rematch? Or should the UFC draft in a certain Miss Kay Harrison to make her UFC debut in 2022, fighting for the belt, and then potentially set up a Titanic matchup with Nunes further down the line if Kayla can get past Juliana? There's a whole load going on here. And the, the, the grand plan of UFC President Dana White, I'm sure, would have been an Amanda Nunes-Kayla Harrison title fight at some point in 2022. The road to get there is a little bit more tricky now. But what did you make of the performance and what did you make of what's likely to come next? Wow, so much to unpack there, Simon. First of all, the performance, gobsmacked. There's no one out there. And I don't even care if you picked Pena. You probably picked Pena just to be a little controversial, to poke the bear, to move the needle, uh, to to be, you know, be a bit of a talking point amongst your friends or you know, some of the pundits out there that put it out. I don't believe it. I don't buy it. How can you? pick against the consensus greatest female fighter of all time, the double champion who's looked so dominant for so many years. And the fact that Pena was coming in, yes, on some momentum, but if you look at the, her spring of results, not exactly consistent either. And I think she got the opportunity, like a lot of other fighters have, just purely because of a, a lack of options um, for, for, for Anunes, both at bantamweight and featherweight. The fact that she called her show, I remember, Simon, when she was on the mic, you know, waxing lyrical, looking for the shot, going on other shows and doing interviews, saying she should be next. I actually said yes, absolutely, because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. She was going out there and doing what the, the rest of the division wasn't doing. And I remember people just kind of absolutely lambasting me about the idea of her fighting for the title when I, when I was fully supportive of it. And here we are, and she is the UFC bantamweight champion. Does she... Does Nunes rather deserve a rematch? Yes, absolutely. When you've been do dominant for that long, and in fact, she's already put out a social media post essentially saying that she accepts the rematch. Pena said she was down for a rematch. The competitor she is, I'm sure she wants to be able to say she's got two wins over Amanda Nunes and kind of really usher in the Pena era at 135 pounds. 
And yes, Amanda Nunes is up for it. Needs, she said that she needs some time just to gonna get her stuff together. And that would be one of the biggest fights that the UFC could put on next year. Kayla Harrison, you mentioned that Simon, absolutely there in the wings. And you'd like to think that if Amanda Nunes had won, there would have been a camera right there in front of Kayla Harrison, who was sitting front row, just to get her reaction. I'm sure within minutes or hours, the UFC would have confirmed the signing of Kayla Harrison or, or you know, at the very least, had some had her involved in some capacity in, in the post-fight press conference, bringing her backstage or something, right? Because if I feel like the deal's just done and I feel like it's just, they're just waiting for the right moment to announce it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have given us such a prominent spot and given us so much attention in the lead up to the fight on the on the broadcast i think simon they should just sign her get her in and while you have this amanda nunez juliana pena rematch maybe even put kayla harrison in on the main card yeah and it almost kind of like i feel like her being her being put into a tile fight straight away would have been a great idea had had uh, nunez won now i feel like just get her a fight introduce her to the ufc fans introduce her to casual fans who didn't watch the pfl who don't really know her story you don't know what she's about and what she's capable of doing inside that cage and i feel like her being brought in getting that one fight that one win in the ufc and then if and then if nunez can beat pena in a rematch she's got both of her belts back then that big fight is still there and even if nunez loses simon then she's still have to defend her featherweight championship she's got an obligation there so regardless i feel like the kayla harrison signing and perhaps just one fight uh, and one win in the UFC is the right, you know, move for the UFC and for Kayla Harrison to make. But the good thing about Kayla Harrison, I know we've been going on about Kayla Harrison a lot right now because she's a free agent. She's a free agent and she's got so much options out there. But I do feel like the Pena win has hurt her, has hurt her big time. So let's see if the UFC does sign her. Maybe the PFL come back with a better offer or maybe Bellator say, hey, you know, Nunez is going to be tied up with Pena for a, for, a, for a while. Why don't you come over here and, and fight Chris Cyborg? But Simon, when I end my segment on this with one question, Pena defeating Amanda Nunez, the debate that has sparked over the last 24 to 48 hours is this. Is this the biggest upset in UFC history? I'll give you my answer in a second, but I want to throw it to you and get your take on it first. I tweeted it. Seconds after the uh, the official announcement, yeah, it is. I said, Matt Serra over GSP was always my my number one at the time. And uh, there have been other shocks since then, but none that have quite, in my eyes, matched up to that. This, for me, surpasses it because of the body of work of Amanda Nunes, because Juliana Pena did not have a big run of success herself leading into that fight. It wasn't like a, a charging contender versus a dominant champion. This was a contender who sort of gnawed and scratched her way to the top. And she's had a, she's had wins and losses along the way. Amanda Nunes, meanwhile, has been demolishing everybody in two weight classes. And for Juliana to go in there and to not just win, to finish her, to make her effectively concede defeat in the middle of the octagon, that's a statement. That's a real statement. And... It was, it was for me, it was the biggest shock I've ever seen in terms of the UFC uh, and, and championship fights. We've seen others down the years, but none that quite match up to that. I don't know whether there's anybody who's actually produced like a, a table in terms of the betting odds, in terms of the actual odds that they started the fight at and how that compares with other title fights in years past. But for me, yeah, biggest, biggest shock in UFC championship fight history. And I concur. 
I completely agree. It was Sarah over GSP for, for me for the longest time, but it wasn't even a flash knockout or anything, Simon. It was a gradual demolition job. She was like just wearing Nunez down. And then finally, she didn't even have her hooks in for that rear naked choke. It almost felt like she beat her into submission and Nunez just wanted out. And man, what a, what a crazy performance. I don't care what the odds were. I don't care if from a statistical standpoint, there, there's a fight with more extreme odds of someone that got a bigger upset. For me, when you just look at who she was fighting, the level of competition, where Juliana Pena has been over the last couple of years, completely inconsistent. There was a big gap where she didn't fight at all, coming back from that gruesome knee injury, and she was fighting red hot. Man, the only thing I can think of in my mind is, could you imagine if someone had beaten Khabib, you know, before he retired, to have that to have his first ever loss on his record be someone like a Justin Gaethje or, or a Dustin Poirier? That for me would have been a you know up there in terms of a, a big shock or a big upset. But I just consider Julian Apeña's situation right now and defeating Amanda Nunes, who was just so red hot, my goodness. Um, and like I said, it wasn't a flash knockout. It wasn't a, a fluke win. She absolutely beat her opponent into submission. And for me, from here on out, it's the greatest, the biggest upset in UFC history in the, what, 26, 27, whatever, 28 years it's been in this sport. Maybe we'll see something that beats it in the future, but for, for the time being, that's number one for me. Yeah. I mean, listen to this list of names. Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey, Valentina Shevchenko, Raquel Pennington, Chris Cyborg, Holly Holm, Jermaine Durandamy, Felicia Spencer, Megan Anderson. All of those fighters tried and failed to dethrone Amanda Nunes. Or in Misha Tate's uh, case, she lost her title to Amanda Nunes back at UFC 200. That was the start of the championship run. All of those people, and that's a who's who of women's MMA. You listen to some of those names. You know, there's a host of champions or former champions on that list. They all fell short. Juliana Pena got the job done on Saturday night. And that was just outstanding. And as you say, it was the manner of the victory. It wasn't a flash knockout. It wasn't a freak turn of events. She, she broke her. She broke her down and broke her in the middle of the octagon and deservedly won the belt. So all props to her. Looks like we're going to get the rematch first it puts the kayla harrison thing slightly slightly on ice i must put my hand up when i was talking about it earlier i had it all in my head that this was all happening in the division where kayla harrison would be involved of course she won't be she'll step in at featherweight where nunez still holds the championship belt but i think you need to deal with the business of fighting juliana pena first i think they need to do that rematch and then you're back to you're back to base camp again and you've got that double champ versus PF double PFL champ, huge matchup. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the UFC does if they have already signed Kayla Harrison, what they'll do with her in the interim. But yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, what happens with Amanda Nunes because someone as dominant as her to lose her belt, she's going to be absolutely fired up to deliver some statement performances in 2022. So look out for the lioness in 2022. This whole event, Sandu, is absolutely nuts. Jeff Neal versus Santiago Ponzinibbio went to the scorecards. It was one of only three fights, uh, sorry, four fights um, on the either the prelims or the main card that went the distance. Split decision. Jeff Neal got the job done. Kai Kara France versus Cody Garbrandt. I want to talk to you about Cody Garbrandt because 
he was he was struggling for form heading into his fight with Kai Kara France. Drops down to 125 pounds against a dangerous striker with quick hands and knockout power and gets stopped midway through the first round. Cody Garbrandt, his record, bear in mind he's a former champion, former bantamweight champion. He has lost five of his last six, Sandu. He hasn't had back-to-back wins since 2016. What on earth do you do if you're advising Cody Garbrandt right now? Because he's still a world-class fighter, but the way he's he's kind of gone about some of his fights and his, his approach has not helped him, I think. And he's, he's found himself getting clipped and stopped. Of those five defeats, four of them have been by stoppage. Four of them have been by KO or TKO. So what do you do? Do you move him back up? Do you change training camp? Do you take some time away from the sport? Just give yourself a rest? Because right now, he's he's been pretty active. He's had two fights in 2021. He had a fight in 2020. It's not like he's not been. It's, it's not like he's come back from a long layoff. So, what do you do if you're advising Cody Garbrandt, Sandu? Because he's he's in a bit of a tricky spot right now. This has to be one of the biggest falls from grace I've ever seen from a fighter that has attained championship level, and then just feels like he's just lost it all. You know, the 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 amount of losses, the fashion of the losses. I don't know what to attribute it to. The, is it all those gym wars from Team Alpha Male? You know, is it his confidence? Like, we all remember him defeating Dominic Cruz in one of the most incredible, stylish, mesmerizing, charismatic performances we've ever seen in a title fight. And it, and it felt like it was a legit moment. We thought, whoa, this is the future. You know, here, here's Cody No Love who's going to come in and usher in a brand new era in the, in the, in the bantamweight division. And something's gone wrong. I feel like he's in no man's land at this point. So I mean, cause the whole thing with him moving down to fly flyweight was, you know, you hit the reset button. He'll be the bigger man. He didn't look that gaunt on the, I mean, maybe his face looked a little bit sucked in, but in general, he looked pretty good on the scale um, when they were weighing in. So it looks like, you know, the weight cut and everything went, fairly good for him but maybe it's a, a you know the level of competition you know you have to give your you know your, your flowers to give a tip of the hat to Clay Clara France's game he's now looking for a title shot given who he just defeated he just defeated a former champion and rightly as he should be putting that narrative out there maybe Cody Garbrandt Simon just needs to take a break assess the situation does he stay at flyweight does he go back to bantamweight does he stay at Team Alpha Male? Does he move around, go to a different gym? Um, I think there needs to be a lot of soul searching there for him to find out, can he still do this? Is his chin absolutely gone? Is it worth him continuing to fight? If he's going to continue to get knocked out and have more brain damage, you know, all these things. There's a lot of questions that only he can answer. Uh, but right now, if he, and if he was to come back, I think you've got to drop the level of competition really down. You've got to really, you know, from a matchmaking point of view, really take care of him and almost build up his confidence and almost start from scratch all over again. Give him someone unranked. You know, give him someone maybe ranked between 10 and 15, something like that. Nobody in the top 10. But, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a big fall from grace from where I'm looking at it. Yeah, I mean, my, my knee-jerk thought was put him back up to bantamweight, but bantamweight is the biggest shark tank in the UFC right now. There are There are no easy fights, even if you drop down below the top 15, 15 to 20 is still going to be an incredibly dangerous matchup 
for anybody. So it is it is a really tricky one. It's the, it, and it's the manner of the defeats. You know, we've seen fighters go through losing streaks in the past, but they've you know they've had a few split decisions or you know the fights have just not gone their way on the scorecards. But when you're repeatedly getting clipped and, and stopped, it's a problem. Um, I didn't think that being at flyweight was a big issue, and it was it's quite a comical moment really during the weigh-ins. He was taking his mask off on the official weigh-ins in the mornings, he was taking his mask off so that he could flex for the camera so he could get the official picture. And it, his mask kind of flicked off. And without even looking, he flipped his hand behind him and caught the mask. Like, incredible dexterity, reaction time spot on. If he'd had a really bad weight cut, he wouldn't even have known that he dropped the thing. So the fact that, A, he tried to catch it, and B, he caught it, that told me that he'd made, you know, he'd actually had a good weight cut. I think he'd started his weight cut quite early on and he arrived quite light during fight week. And that side of things looked to me as if it had gone, gone as well as could be expected. So I just think that it's the way that he fights. I think he, he leaves himself exposed to getting clipped. So maybe a change of team, you know, sometimes a change is as good as a rest. Try things out. It doesn't mean that team alpha male hasn't been good for him. He won a world title with them. So, you know, that's always going to be on his resume and on their resume, but maybe a change of team. And uh, we'll see see how he goes, but yeah, it is a it is a tough one for him. And and you know, I don't know how many more fights the UFC will want to keep him around for. If he if he gets in there again and gets smoked again, that's going to be you know six out of seven with five with, with five or six KOs. So that's not going to be good for him. So fingers crossed he can uh, he can make a few tweaks and changes because he's a super talented fighter. And as you say, that win over Dom Cruz for me one of the all-time great championship-winning performances in the UFC. That was unbelievable. Uh, and a word for Kai Kara France as well, who really did the business. Great performance from him. Another one off the City Kit boxing production line. You know, he's been there. He's on his way up and put on a great performance. That's uh, two in a row from him, both first-round knockouts. Um, he's going to be in there with top five opposition next time round for sure. So that was the main card except for Sean O'Malley kicked off the main card. I want to very quickly talk about him. Took on Howley and Piver in a matchup that I think was there to kind of showcase O'Malley's skills. Piver, former flyweight, who moved up to bantamweight and it looked reasonably good. But O'Malley was just too good. His striking was too good. He couldn't miss with his shots and he got the first round finish. Perfect performance from him. Dana White said leading into the fight, Sandy, that they shouldn't be pushing O'Malley too quickly. Everyone's clambering over O'Malley and the fact that he hasn't fought ranked opposition and all the rest of it. And O'Malley's kind of made of a joke of it. He's he's producing merch that says uh, unranked champion or, uh, you know, champion, uh, un uncrowned champion or something like this. But he is still young in the sport. He is super talented. How quickly or otherwise do you move him up those ranks? Because surely the time is coming that he's going to have to get in there with somebody in, in, in the, uh, UFC bantamweight rankings, right? Yeah, I mean, he's he's gone ahead with his unranked merch, which is just a fantastic play on his current situation. He's just so smart from a marketing standpoint. He's, and just visually, you know, in terms of his look, you know, the, the tattoos and his kind of hairdo and the colors and everything, you know, he does everything he's able to do within the current landscape of the UFC, which in many respects is so uniform, he's done his best to stand out amongst the crowd, whether it's his interview style, his fighting style, his uh, his appearance, and all, all the rest of it, right? 
the star power is there. I think that's at this point undeniable. And I feel like every time he comes out to the UFC, his star just shines a little bit brighter. It gets a little bit bigger. We don't know, Simon, what the ceiling is on him as a fighter. And I think that, for me, is the most exciting thing about Sean O'Malley. How good can he be? How good can he get? Can he you know, really compete with the top 10, top five guys? Can he go on to become champion in the UFC? He had that little um, hiccup against Chito Vera. That rematch at some point down the road would be an absolutely huge fight. But outside of that, it's gone really well for him. He's, he's finishing fights. He's, he's got this kind of basketball-style post-fight celebration, which is working really well. Everyone's talking about him. Outside of the, the, the main fights, the, the title fights, Sean O'Malley was pulling in a lot of eyeballs and you know, really causing you know, the, the majority of the traffic during fight week. So I think it's time. I think it's time he gets ranked. I think it's time he fights ranked opponents. And again, let me just say this. I'm talking about it from a, from a competitive standpoint. I'm talking about this from a, a fan point of view. The, the reason he has said he is not fighting ranked op- opponents is he wants more money, Simon. You know, he wants to get paid what he thinks he is worth to fight the level of competition that we all want to see him fight. So I totally understand where he's coming from there. More power to him. It's a, it's a great strategy in terms of how he's trying to negotiate with the UFC, especially because his star power just continues to get bigger and bigger. But yeah, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see him fight top 15, top 10 competition. And, and who knows, maybe that's what's on the cards in 2022. Yeah, he gave a great quote. And I might be paraphrasing a little bit because I don't have the quote in front of me, but it was along the lines of how many unranked millionaires are there in the UFC? Because he's making his money outside of the cage. He's not making his money inside the cage. That, that is for sure. But he's proving more than capable of uh, being ready to be moved up. But as we said just a minute ago, that bantamweight division is an absolute shark tank. Marlon Vera, the rematch, I think, has to happen. Whether that is the next fight, I don't know. Looking at the bantamweight rankings, there is a matchup there that I think wouldn't be a terrible matchup to make. And that's Frankie Edgar. That, for me, would be the perfect matchup to really test his abilities. He's in there with one of the most experienced guys in the sport, a former world champion at a higher weight class, and a guy who has been there, seen it, and done it on the biggest stage in the sport. He's ranked 13th right now, as I'm looking at the rankings, which haven't yet updated since the weekend. Um, O'Malley may even have cracked the rankings already. Some people might have voted him in already, but um, he's currently not listed. For me, Edgar would be a great introduction. If he can beat Frankie Edgar and stop him, then that really is the time to strap the rocket boosters to him and see to see how he could go. Maybe the Vera fight follows that one. If he beats Marlon Vera, we're into the top 10. And then the sky's the limit and we see we, we see how we can go. But he's a super talented guy. I spoke to him very briefly in Vegas when he was, he was involved in the Quintet Ultra event uh, a couple of years ago. And... Uh, he was he was top man. I, I you know I love his attitude and in terms of his attitude towards competition, and he seems to he seems you know he knows what he wants. He's got a strong mind in terms of what he thinks he's worth. Hopefully he gets a contract that reflects that, and he can move up that division because everywhere you look, there are great matchups for him. And if he can start knocking off some of these people with a number next to their name, the UFC are going to have a major major superstar in their hands. So um, I mentioned Frankie Edgar. Looking at those rankings, Sandu, is there a name that leaps off the page that you think if you're going to put him in with a ranked opponent, who we should go in with next? I mean, 
Frankie Edgar makes sense. He's currently ranked 13. And obviously, you, who knows? Maybe they go with the Marlon Vera fight next. Mm. Marlon Vera right now is ranked number 11. And, and that's the one fight that I know O'Malley wants to get back at, at some point. Maybe that's next. Um, or who knows, Simon? You know, if Cody Garbrandt wants to come back to 135 pounds, you know, he, he's still currently ranked number seven at 135. Um, but I wouldn't advise him to be fighting Sean O'Malley anytime soon either. Um, but here's a, here's a cool thing about the situation, Simon. Options. You know, I think O'Malley's got options. And one of the other quotes I saw from the post-fight press conference was, he said, everybody else is in the fight game. I am in the fight business. And I thought that was a very telling quote for from Sugar Show. Yeah. And this fight card, Sandu, is just absolutely packed with great stories, great fights. Josh Emmett and Dan Ige was the feature prelim. Went the distance. Josh Emmett got the deserved win in my eyes. That was a really closely contested fight, but he got the unanimous decision. Dominic Cruz, former bantamweight champion against Pedro Munoz, what a fight. That got fight of the night. Dana White was chucking bonuses out like Oprah at the end of this event. We'll run through those in a minute. But they got the fight of the night, and deservedly so. It went the distance. But if you watched the first round, or even the first half of the first round, if you'd have turned around and said, these two are going to go the distance, you'd have just laughed that person out of the building because that fight was only going one way. Pedro Munoz was absolutely handing it to Dominic Cruz. Somehow, Cruz managed to survive that round and then turn the tables and put on a classic Dominic Cruz performance to outpoint him. 29-28 across the board. And the man can still do it, Sandu. He might not be the champion anymore. He might have dropped down the rankings a little bit. But he just proved against one of the hardest punches in the division that he his elusiveness and his ability to work his way out of problems, he's still got it, hasn't he? He certainly has, Simon. I think the biggest thing now is he's got momentum again. He's got a win streak. He's just won back-to-back fights after losing back-to-back fights. And Dominic Cruz, man, vintage, vintage Cruz. Doesn't look like it's going his way early in the fight. Regroups, reassesses, goes on to win the, the second two rounds. And like you said, ended up winning fight of the night. And now looking forward, you know, where does he go next? And I know just a week ago, Simon, you know, we were all kind of just applauding Jose Aldo and everybody is excited about a potential Aldo, you know, TJ Dillashaw fight. Me personally, as much as I would like to see that fight, I think it would be absolutely criminal if we didn't get Dominic Cruz, Jose Aldo, the former featherweight king against the former bantamweight king. And I don't want to see that fight when it's like past their prime and they're on the they're, they're on the, the skid and it's just a fight that makes sense because they were once champions. Why not do it while there's some genuine momentum behind both of them in the same weight class for the first time they're both coming in with win streaks we still don't know what tj dillashaw's timeline is in terms of his recovery and, and you know when he's potentially going to come back so let's see what happens but dominic cruz is once again simon he's inserted himself into the mix all he needs is one win i think one more win three fight win streak and then he can put the narrative out there that he should be fighting for the title again and I don't think anybody would uh, behoove that situation or that option if that happens at some point in 2022. But for right now, Dominic Cruz is back. And we were talking about how Sean O'Malley was the guy that was bringing in a lot of traffic. Dominic Cruz also, you know, caused a lot of headlines with his, with his comment about Daniel Cormier. And even now, I don't know if it was a work. I don't know if it was a shoot. I don't know what the situation was there. All I do know is it caused a lot of traction. It created a lot of content, not just for everyone that was covering that media scrum 
with with Cruz himself. But then we saw Michael Bisping get something out on YouTube. We saw Daniel Cormier have a sit down with Cruz on his YouTube. And I know they're all buddies, these commentators. So I don't know what's real, what's not. But hey, it, it caught it moved the needle during fight week. That's for sure. And that's not a bad thing when you're there on the on the prelims. It certainly meant that people were tuning in with extra interest when uh, when he stepped into the cage. And I think, you know, they were probably keeping half an eye on Daniel Cormier or half an ear on Daniel Cormier's commentary as well. He called it straight down the line, no problems at all. You would expect nothing less of DC. But yeah, it certainly made for an interesting fight week. Looking at the bantamweight rankings, Sandu, Cruz, this is pre-update, okay? Cruz is listed ninth. Pedro Munoz is listed eighth. Cody Garbrandt, who we just mentioned, is listed seventh. It's not out of the realm of possibility that Dominic Cruz could be ranked seventh in the division by the time these rankings are refreshed later on. Today, we're recording this on a Monday. So that would mean that he's kind of in striking distance of the top guys that ranked at seven. You know, they can, that's a makeable fight, especially if some of the guys above Rob Font has just fought and lost. TJ Dillashaw is injured. And, uh, you know, there are, there are some people there who are kind of out of action right now. So that closes the gap as well. I love the idea of a Dom Cruz Jose Aldo fight. We might have mentioned it on the show a few months back. I, was, I seem to remember you mentioning it in the past, but it's a it's a couple of OGs going toe to toe. They're both still in their prime. They're both looking as good as they've ever looked, and I'd love to see that fight. I would absolutely love to see that fight, and maybe maybe they can make that fight happen. I know he's looking slightly higher up right now, Jose Aldo, but who knows? Maybe that one can be made in 2022. If Aldo fights and loses again and Cruz fights and wins again, they're going to be ranked right next to each other, almost certainly. So I wouldn't be at all surprised if we see those two sharing the octagon at some point in 2022. And that'll be, as you mentioned earlier, that'll be one for the OG fans. They will absolutely lap that one up, um, as as will the pair of us, I'm sure. So, yeah, that was an interesting side story with the whole fight week stuff. I mentioned it on, on last week's show. Pedro Munoz, of course, he's going to have to regroup. That was a fantastic performance. Taito Avasa put on a fantastic performance of his own against Augusto Sakai. Bit of a slowish first round. And then Tuivasa came out like a man who had a dinner reservation and absolutely put it to Augusto Sakai. Flattened him 26 seconds into round two. Things to talk about here, Sandu. He walks out to Aqua's Barbie Girl. Interesting song choice. He's walked out to Whitney Houston in the past. He's walked out to the Spice Girls in the past. I have no idea what he's going to walk out to next, but he always brings the cheesy hits. And then he just delivers an, an incredible knockout. Does the shoey, classic, vintage, ticks every box for a tie to Ivasa performance. Gave us everything we needed. And I'm sure the social media traffic off that probably did quite well, I would imagine. Listen, you had Stone Cold Steve Austin tweet about it. You had a lot of people online share the video of him doing this. This is the thing. Talking about, you know, being able to put yourself out there, whether it's how you look, how you perform, post-fight interviews, post-fight celebrations. Tied to Yvasa, you almost expect it. It's on schedule. It's you know right on time. When he wins, the very first thing he's looking to do is a shoey. And that's his kind of trademark. That's his signature post-fight celebration. And then you cut to fans doing shoeys. You know, it's just like it's become a thing now. Uh, when it comes to Bam Bam Taipu Vasa fights in the UFC. The most important thing, Simon, momentum now. Four fights, four finishes, three of those all occurred in the first round. He had a bit of a hiccup there not too long ago, and you kind of thought, is the UFC going to cut him? And now it's like, how can they? 
He's an action fighter. He's really delivering the goods in the cage. Like he's he's what you want in a heavyweight. He's a knockout artist. You know, he's a finisher, and he's kind of bringing this charisma and personality to a division that frankly needs it for the most part. You know, you want a bit of spice, and I don't know if he's able to go all the way, Simon. I don't know if he's able uh, if his ceiling includes him becoming a UFC champion. But I tell you what, who doesn't want to tune in for a, for a title Yvonne fight? And I can't wait for the world to open up and for the UFC to go back to places like Australia, where you can have him in a featured and a co-main event, you know, or or a pay-per-view main card or something like that, because he's a fan favorite. And, you know, that's what you want to achieve. If you can't become champion, then at least become a fan favorite. So you have some actual pull when it comes to negotiating with the UFC and just become marketable enough that it hopefully can leverage some opportunities for you outside of the cage as well. So absolutely love to see it. He's, a, he's one of my favorite fighters to watch, that's for sure. Yeah, Augusto Sakai ranked 11th. Two of us was unranked. So you can expect him to be on the rankings as they get updated. Big things in the future, I'm sure, for Tai Tuivasa. So many other fights on this card that we do, we can't even get through on this podcast. But the performance of the night bonuses went to Charles Oliveira, Juliana Pena, Kai Cara France, Sean O'Malley, Tai Tuivasa, and Bruno Silva, who kicked off the TV prelims with a first-round knockout of Jordan Wright. Dominic Cruz, Pedro Munoz got fight the night. That's a lot of $50,000 bonuses being dished out for the final pay-per-view of 2021. But that is not the final fight night of 2021. That comes this weekend as the UFC returns to the building that has been just so important over the last two years. The UFC Apex will play host to the final UFC event of 2021, December 18th. UFC fight night, Derek Lewis, Chris Dorcas in the main event. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Bilal Mohammed providing support in the co-main event. We just talked about Tai Tuivasa and the fact that he's a fan favorite. He might not ever win the belt, but people will tune in to watch him. Derek Lewis has come really close to becoming a UFC champion. But I kind of file him in the same draw as Tai Tuivasa as someone who he may not ever get the belt potentially, but everybody wants to watch a Derek Lewis fight. And we've got a big one on Saturday night, Sandu. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, this is a risky fight because Chris Dorcas is a man on fire. He's coming in with so much momentum. Five fight winning streaks, Simon. Five finishes, four of which came in the first round. And we know historically Derek Lewis always likes to stand and bang and, and tries to get the finish too. This could be, Simon, a bit of a crossroads moment for Derek Lewis. You know, he was in that situation where he was fighting Cyril Gann for the interim heavyweight championship. Had he won that, all roads were leading to him in a unification bout with Francis Ngannou. For them to run it back and put the, the memory of that snooze fest of their first fight to bed forever. Now he's in a situation where he's closing the show this year on a fight night card to get back on track. He's still a fan favorite. People will still tune in to watch Derek Lewis fight. The Black Beast always delivers the goods. But the level of competition he's fighting here is extremely, extremely high. I don't know which way it's going to go, but I can tell you right now, it's going to be competitive. And I can tell you right now as well, Simon, I will not be surprised or shocked whatsoever if Chris Dorcas gets a win. And if he does get this win, Simon, that's massive. Then you're, you're right. You, you just If you beat Derek Lewis, you just beat a guy that was in title contention. That was an, in, an interim title fight. This is a massive, massive opportunity for Chris Dorcas. It really is. And Chris Dorcas and Tom Aspinall, England's Tom Aspinall, are both on a bit of a rocket ship towards the top of the UFC heavyweight division right now. 
Aspinall has said he wants to take it slow. Dorcas is getting the push, and this is the big, big test for him right now. If you can run the gauntlet against someone like Derek Lewis and survive and get a win, then you are elite UFC heavyweight championship material. So the thing with Dorcas, he's not the biggest heavyweight. He's very fast. He's got quick hands. And I think he's going to need to use that a lot against Derek Lewis because if he stands in front of Derek Lewis for long enough, Derek Lewis is going to find his chin. And he might only need to touch it once. We know this. Tests have shown. Previous fights have proved. You stand long enough in front of Derek Lewis, it's night-night time. So Chris Dorcas is going to need to have his uh, have his running shoes on and he's going to need to be sticking and moving and, and really trying to box him for the five five-minute rounds. So, But he's more than capable of doing it. He's more than capable of doing it. The guys he's beaten are solid, but none of them are what I would call legitimate one-shot knockout artists. So they haven't carried the same level of threat that Derek Lewis carries into his fight. So this is a real acid test for Chris Dorcas. If he passes it, we've got a new contender on our hands. If he doesn't, then no shame. He can bounce back. He's still young enough in the division. As for Derek Lewis, he needs a win. He needs to keep his position at the top of that division. If he loses, you never know. We could end up seeing a Derek Lewis title with Asa fight in 2022. Who would hate that? Not me. But Derek Lewis wants to be fighting for the belt or he wants to be fighting the biggest paydays as possible. I think he always said, I'm not that interested in being a champion. I just want to make as much money as I possibly can. So he wants the biggest possible fights. He's in a headliner this this coming weekend. He's He's got the honor of being the last man to walk to the octagon in 2021. He'll want to go out with a bang. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing how that goes on fight night on Saturday. One more before we go, Sandy. Let's quickly look at the co-main. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Bilal Mohammed, the welterweight division. We've talked about it a lot over the course of 2021. Kamara been dominating at the top. Leon Edwards being the most unlucky man in the history of mixed martial arts. Still hasn't had his shot at the belt. Wonderboy Thompson, former championship uh, challenger, two-time challenger, and Bilal Mohammed, who's looking to break into contendership. It's a big, big fight for both men. A defeat really knocks them down those rankings, I think. Yeah, I feel like with Bilal Mohammed, he had a nice little bounce back. There's a situation there with Leon Edwards where you kind of knew that Edwards was in a situation where he was most likely going to win the fight. And then obviously the, the eye poke changed the trajectory of, of the result in that situation. It ended up becoming a no contest. Even though Bilal Mohammed was kind of coming into that fight with a lot of momentum, I think a lot of us always felt that the level of competition in Leon Edwards was a little bit too much for Bilal. He bounces back, gets a win over Damian Meyer, which I personally think is good matchmaking um, from the UFC's part. You know, yeah. fighting Damian Meyer where he's literally right at the end of his career. He's not who he was in his prime. That's good matchmaking. That's giving, you know, a current member of your roster who's in his you know, prime and, and developing and getting better and someone you're going to be invested in for a long time, a fight that he most likely should win and he did win. But now comes a real litmus test for Bilal Mohammed. It was a litmus test against Leon Edwards. It's definitely a litmus test in what I think and many consider, I'm sure you would agree, Simon, arguably pound for pound, doesn't matter what division you're in, the toughest stylistic matchup you're likely to get in this sport and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, who himself will be highly motivated to get back in the win column because he lost a decision to Gilbert Burns back in July. Prior to that, he had some big wins over Vicente Luque and also Jeff Neal. And if he has any more aspirations moving forward to hopefully get an opportunity to fight for the title once again, 
even though he's probably at the, the last stages of his career too, he needs to get a win over Bilal Mohamed, get back in the right column, and then move forward into 2022 with some momentum and start building a win streak all over again. Because Stephen Thompson is still one of those interesting fights that is available at some point to Kumar Roseman down the road, which stylistically would be incredibly interesting to watch. But Kumar Roseman, you know, can't just be handing out these title fights to someone that doesn't deserve it, right? And Stephen Wonderboy Thompson isn't an Conor McGregor. He's not going to move the needle on pay-per-view like that. He's not a Jorge Mazadal. He's not a Conor McGregor. So Wonderboy needs to do the hard work. It all starts this weekend against Bilal Mohamed. And in fact, this is the one fight that I'm probably more likely to give you a pick. And I, I feel like Wonderboy is going to be a little bit too much for Bilal Mohamed, I think. Yeah, this is number five, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson versus number 10, Bilal Mohamed. So on paper, Mohamed doesn't have too much to lose in this matchup. He's got a lot to gain. If he can beat Wonderboy, <clears throat> boom, he's top five. So... But if he loses, he's kind of going to stay where he is in terms of the rankings. He's, you know, I mentioned Wonderboy loses. He's got a pretty big fall uh, on the rankings on his hands. But, and I say this with the greatest of respect because Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is one of the most respectful people in the sport. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is the trickiest gatekeeper in, 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 the, in the sport of mixed martial arts because he's not quite at championship level at the moment. He's, he's probably one or two big wins away from getting a shot at the belt. So he's just outside. But if you want to be a contender, you want to challenge Kamara Usman, you want to do everything you can to sidestep Stephen Wonderboy Thompson because he is an absolute nightmare to, to fight against. There is nobody else in the division who fights like him. There is nobody else. Well, I mean, I, I tell you, the one person in the world who I think would be a really interesting stylistic matchup for him is Michael Venom Page. That would be a really interesting stylistic matchup. The pair of them... I think would be really, really fun to watch one day. I don't know whether their paths will ever cross, but their their fighting styles might make for a very interesting striking matchup. Either that or it would be a complete stalemate and no one will land anything. I don't know. But stylistically, you can kind of see the similarities. But looking at the UFC division, you want to avoid him, really, I think. You want to avoid Hamzat Chimaev and you want to avoid Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. So... Yeah, it's a big chance for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Get another highlight on the reel and then start saying, okay, I've beaten Vicente Luque. He's ranked ahead of me. I want Leon Edwards. I want Gilbert Burns. I want Colby Covington. Give me one of those guys and then I want the belt because I think time's running out. The sands of time are beginning to sort of drain out the bottom of the uh, the old uh, egg timer for, for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson as a championship threat at 170 pounds. One of the nicest people you could meet in a sport. We'll see how he gets on on Saturday night. Loads of other good fights on the card. Rafael Sansao's on the card. Matthias Gamrot against Carlos Diego Ferreira. That's a good fight. Cub Swanson is on the card. So there's a whole load going on. It should be a nice, fun fight night to round out the UFC's calendar in 2021. And that will round out our fight coverage for 2021 as well. We've got KSW this weekend as well. That'll be a good one. Mamed Khalidov versus Roberto Soldic, welterweight champ versus middleweight champ. That'll be good for us over here in Europe. But that is pretty much it for MMA in 2021. And uh, it's been a big year, Sandu, and we've got some good stuff coming in 2022. But as for this show, we're all but done. Pretty much, yeah. Um, the only other thing we, I think we're going to be looking forward to this weekend, maybe from... Uh... In our an armchair casual get your popcorn out perspective is Jake Paul. He's going to be boxing Tyron Woodley, former UFC welterweight champion, and 
I think in many respects, this is Woodley's legacy on the line here, because if he loses to Jake Paul again, and, you know, I say legacy, you know, you can't take away the fact that he was once upon a time UFC World Weight Champion. That's forever. But I think for a lot of people, taking two losses to, to Jake Paul in boxing back-to-back this year, oof, that's going to really damage the legacy big time moving forward. And he's coming in on short notice here. I mean, he says he's been training and preparing for this fight. Tommy Fury pulled out due to injury. Now, all of a sudden, I feel like it's a much bigger fight, especially in North America. It probably would have been a lot bigger with the Tommy Fury angle in the UK. But now it's kind of flipped back into a situation where the MMA media are going to be covering this a lot more than they would have perhaps uh, initially. And if Tyron Woodley could knock out Jake Paul or finish this fight and win, my goodness. You know, what a, what a way to, for him to end the year as well. So that's going to be a, a big fight in terms of spectacle, in terms of eyeballs. So, yes, one eye will be on the UFC Fight Night card, but the other eye will most certainly be on Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley to the rematch. Definitely. And uh, if he can get a knockout, it's going to get an extra half a million bucks. Um, he's interested. He didn't deny the no knockout clause. Did you notice that? He was asked about mm-hmm. it. I think Submission Radio spoke to him this week. And uh, he said, I don't feel the need to talk about that, which I thought was an interesting way of not answering the question. But um, why would you say anything other than no, there wasn't one unless there was one? That's right. That's, that's kind of how I read that. But there is certainly a knockout clause in this contract. And the knockout clause says, you knock me out, you get half a million bucks on top of whatever you're getting to start with. So, yeah, interested to see that one. So uh, a little bit of a MMA boxing crossover again. And uh We'll round out the year with uh, with some good stuff. And what we'll also do is round out the year with uh, a little bit of a look back over the course of 2021. Uh, the next few shows, we'll put together some uh, end-of-year review stuff. We'll look at our predictions that we did this time last year. I've already looked, Sandu. It's not pretty. It's okay. not pretty. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we will recap and see see just how well or otherwise we did. And uh, maybe make a few big predictions ahead of 2022 as well over the course of the next few weeks. But uh, until next week, uh, how can they get in touch with us? How can they follow the show and uh, make sure that they're fully clued up ahead of 2022? So the best place to go to is the BritPackMMA.com. That's the BritPackMMA.com. That's our website. From there, you'll find links to my social media, to Simon's social media, to the Twitter handle for the BritPack podcast show. We're available on Spotify. We're available on Apple Podcasts. And for those of you that do listen to us on the Apple Podcast platform, if you could literally take 30 seconds of your time just to go into the app, find the show, rate us, review us, drop a comment, leave a question. It's a small, small thing, but for us, it really does help the show expand, get found to a new audience, and that's how the Apple podcast algorithm works in terms of promoting shows. So if you can do that, that would be much appreciated. It has been a quite incredible year for the sport of mixed martial arts, all things considered, in 2021. The final weekend of which is coming up this weekend. So enjoy the fights this weekend, ladies and gentlemen. We will come back and recap that and maybe recap the rest of the year on next week's show.